are now entering the sleepiest time of the day. I bet a bunch of you, when you walked in here this morning, you didn't think you were coming into the sleepiest time of the day. Of all the sleepy times of the day that we have throughout the year, this morning is especially the sleepiest time of the day. Most of you did not prepare, if not any of you, probably prepared to lose an hour of sleep because in your confidence you thought, oh, it's not going to bother me. And then here you are listening to my voice thinking I'm trying to hypnotize you that I'm going to cause you to go to sleep. My desire is not for you to go to sleep this morning. My desire is actually for us to uh, study God's Word and apply God's Word together this morning. But I understand where you're at. I have been there before. So the best way that I can tell you as a remedy or maybe a preventative against being asleep is one, to have a Bible that you're reading, uh, some way that you can take notes, and then every time that you start to nod off, just say amen. And then we'll just be able to tell who all is falling asleep, who all is struggling, and if you need to get up and shout and say, Amen. The deacons will not arrest you and haul you out for, uh, for, for getting too slayed in the spirit. So you're more welcome to get up, say amen, or just use it with your voice. But the idea is that we are here this morning to study God's word. We have worshiped God's word through music and uh, worshiped God's word through studying in Sunday school hour. But then now it's our opportunity to continue to studying God's word by looking in his word to us. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1 this morning. So I hope that you came in. I hope you got a bulletin when you came in and you will find your way to Joshua chapter 1. That's where we're going to be at. Um, thank you, Greg, and those that help him in leading us in worship. Thank you, young men, for taking up the offering. And I hope that you will find your way there to Joshua chapter 1. For the last several months, we've been in Ephesians talking about, looking at how it is that we grow in our relationship with Christ. How we grow in our relationship with Christ and how we grow in our relationship with one another. And that was really the emphasis that we pulled out of the letter to the uh, church there at Ephesus is how it is that we grow. And then last week, I was saying that a lot of times once we think about growth, We need to think about what it looks like if we're being successful in our pursuits of growth or in our pursuits of spiritual maturity. How do we know that if we're hitting our mark, the world has a lot of means and a lot of measurements for success. And a lot of times the world will measure success by your money or by your possessions or by your your accomplishments in the world. And so how do we measure success in the life of the church? How do we measure success in our hearts and how do we measure success in our communities? Uh, Last uh, Friday night, uh, Trinity Baptist Church down the road here, I know they do a beast feast they have for several years and this year um, they were kind enough enough to let us come alongside and to help them and to work in that at first one I've ever been to and I'm looking at a gymnasium floor that is filled tables and chairs filled with people and I'm looking at some of the people who are even up in the stands and I said is this a good crowd and they said well you know it's it, it's okay but there's been as many as 750 people here, 780 people here at any one given night. Now, you would look at that and go, man, that, that, that's, a, that's an awesome opportunity. You may think about it as being, that is a measurement of success. So a lot of times we look at these things in the world and say, that is success. But I have uh, asked us to come here to Joshua because sometimes when you think about what success looks like, it can be tinted or it can be filtered through the world's terminology. But when we think about what it looks like to be successful as a church, we need to come back to the Bible's terminology to ask ourselves, what is it to be successful in the eyes 
of God. So last week we were in Joshua chapter 1 and looking at it, I'm going to give you every single week that we're here, these keys to success. So last week in Joshua chapter 1, I gave you the first key to success that we see here in the life of Joshua is God's Word. And this morning you're going to see there at the top of your notes, the second key that I find that I want you to see with me when it comes to the success in the eyes of God is Action. Now, this whole first part of Joshua is about Joshua taking over leadership of the people, leading them into the promised land, and it's the conquest of the promised land. And so they had taken the people from a starting point to an end point, and we see success where God said, I will give you this land for you to possess. Go in and take it. So this whole story is how Joshua leads the people successively to take what God had given then, but you think about uh, Joshua, sometimes people want to jump immediately all the way to Joshua chapter 6 and the fall of Jericho, and they miss the whole first five chapters is about Joshua setting himself and the people up for success when the time comes. So this morning, we're going to be looking at this idea that the key to success as being action. And you see that at the top of your notes, kind of where I'm driving to, is this uh, reality that we all know that success is the end result. It's not the beginning point. We have a lot of young people in this world today that they graduate high school and they're 18 years old and they want to have the same thing their parents have. They want to have the same cars. They want to have the same houses. They want to have the same possessions. They want to have the same lifestyle that their parents have. And so now this whole world has said, well, that's what you want. That's what we'll give you. So now they go out and they get way over their head in debt. They think they overextend themselves beyond where they can go. And it's one of those things they find themselves trying to be just like their parents, not realizing the reason where their parents are where they're at today is because they have spent the last 20 years getting to this point. And sometimes we think success is the beginning place when the world says, oh yeah, you can have success, but the Bible comes in and reminds us success is the end result. It's not the beginning point. So I want, I want, I want you to focus your attention here in Joshua chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 10 and through the rest of the chapter there in verse 18 this morning. And we're just going to uh, lean in on this idea of these keys to success. And, and tonight, or the, um, sorry, this morning we're going to be primarily focused on this idea of action. And what we're going to do is, is I just want to present to you three different calls that Joshua gives to the people and then even one call that the people give back to Joshua. These, these calls to action, if you will. I spent a little bit of time over in the Middle East um, some years ago and I was in a convoy one evening and if you, think any, if you know anything about the Muslim or the Islam, Islamic religion, they have a call to prayer. Morning and evening, they have a call to prayer. It comes over the loudspeakers and reminds all the devout Muslims that this is the time that they are to pray. I'm, I assume you've probably seen pictures or videos when you have them in the mass crowds there at the mosque. And they all kneel down to pray. I was in a convoy and we were going through this city area and you could hear this thing over the loudspeaker. And it's kind of, it reminded me like a tornado siren here that we have in Oklahoma. I mean, it's everywhere. You can hear it all over the place. But this wasn't a tornado siren. It was the call to prayer being over the loudspeaker saying, now is the time to pray to Allah. There was a call to action being broadcast. And I realize that we're not Islamic here this morning, but church, God's word gives us a call to action. So if we leave here this morning thinking, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, or I can just go about my daily life doing what I've always done, that we've missed the purpose and we've missed the means that God has given us to hear God's word, to respond to God's word, and then to act upon God's word. So 
here in the book of Joshua, Joshua is going to start off by giving a couple different calls to action. Notice the first one. We start there in verse 10. It says, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. The first action that Joshua calls the people to is the call to prepare. The call to prepare. Now this isn't the first time that the idea of crossing the Jordan has come to the minds of Joshua or the people. In fact, you go all the way back to Exodus and when Moses is bringing the people out of the promised land, he tells them, we're going to go and we're going to go to the promised land and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And he gives them all this instruction and they get ready and they come right there in Numbers chapter 14 and they're right there to the edge. They send the 12 spies in. The 12 spies come back. Ten of them say, no, we can't do this. And right from that very point, they turn around and they head out. And in God's anger and in God's judgment to the people, he tells them back in Numbers 14 and verse 13, he tells through Moses to the people and says, because of your disobedience, all this generation is going to go die. But the little ones that come after this generation, the ones you're worried about getting swallowed up by the monsters in the promised land, I will bring them back across the Jordan River. Then you think back to Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 1 through 6. God is speaking to Moses and God tells Moses, all right, Moses, you're not going to go into the promised land, but you're going to anoint Joshua and you're going to have Joshua succeed you and Joshua's going to take these people across the Jordan into the promised land. Then you get down to Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 23. God is then commissioning Joshua and he tells Joshua, Joshua, you're going to take these people and you're going to take them into the promised land. So right here in verse 10, when Joshua commands his people, this isn't the first time they are listening to it but what Joshua is saying is sometimes you can talk about it so long before you got to be about it I realize that's not good English but I hope you understand what I'm trying to get at sometimes we can sit around and we can talk 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 and sometimes we just have to get up and do it so Joshua is coming in here and he is calling the people to prepare and in other words sometimes we in the church today we can pray and we can pray and we can pray but we never prepare for God to do what we're praying for we will sit here and we'll say God we pray that you would just bring a revival to this community but are we preparing for a revival You say, oh God, I want you to fill this sanctuary with people. Oh God, I would love to see us go to two, five, six, ten services. I would love for us to just be growing. And I'd love for the healthiness and the the vibrancy of this church just to expand. And that is great and that is good. But are you preparing if God was to do that? You know what happens when a church grows? They need more Sunday school teachers. They need more servants. They need more people helping Greg with the morning worship. They need more people helping fix light bulbs. They need more people helping vacuum carpets. Are you preparing to serve in that way? Joshua comes in here in this text and he tells the people, prepare yourself. Prepare and get ready. God is getting ready to give us the land and we are going over to to possess it. So I want you to prepare. But here's the danger that Joshua knows that I think is right about us again this morning. Is that so many times we do not prepare because we don't prioritize. So we don't prepare for the things that we're praying for God to do because we don't prioritize the things that God has said he will do. 
So we don't prepare because we don't prioritize. I prioritize a whole lot of other things. I will get ready for a whole lot of other things. They said the big chill was coming back in the middle part of February. And oh my goodness, there was all kinds of things trying to get ready to be done. And I was thinking ahead of this even back when it was last August and September. Because we, where we moved to, there was a well house and it was pretty run down. And it wasn't going to hold a good cold spell. And so uh, back in August, September, I got them three boys out there. And I said, all right boys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to re-skin the thing. We're going to get the thing insulated. We're going to make sure this is ready because I don't want to wake up in the morning with frozen pipes. Back in August, there wasn't a lot of threat of cold weather. Boys said, Daddy, uh, grass is green. Leaves on the tree. Daddy, we want to do something else. We don't want to sit out here and work. And I said, no, so-and-so, you got to get ready. That cold is coming. Wine, 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 wine. And then you know what happened in mid-February? I wore it out. <laughs> Every time I thought about it, I'd say, boys, aren't you so glad that we don't have to be out there right now in the wellhouse? Aren't you so glad that we don't have to worry about the water freezing up? Aren't you so glad that we do this? Boys, do you know why you're not having to worry about that this morning? Because you worked before, you prepared before, and so now you're ready. And yet sometimes, brothers and sisters, we're not preparing for the things of God because we're not prioritizing the things of God. Joshua comes in and he understands that they can prepare for the next week or the next year out in the wilderness, but he wants them to get ready for what God is going to do with them in the near future, what God has promised to do with them, what God has said he's going to do with them. He says we need to be ready for what God is going to do. And I know that we have a thousand plans in this world. And I know that you've got a lot of plans and a lot of goals of what you want to do personally. But are we getting ready for what God may be wanting to do with us spiritually? We miss that. We miss that call to prepare from a God may be ready to do with us. So many times people drag in here on a Sunday morning. And, and, and they drag in and they're just so tired and they're just so wore out. Man, I was up late. I had a hard day yesterday and all those things are true. And I'm not trying to say you're bad for that. I'm just trying to say if I had tickets to the OU-OSU Bedlam game, you would make sure that you were ready to go. <laughs> You would be prepared. You would be rested. You would have all these things in place. We spend more time getting prepared to go to a sporting event than we do getting prepared to come to church. I have a, a preacher that I follow uh, that, that I've seen before on social media and he will put on every Saturday night, he'll put a picture and he'll say, I got my Bible, I got my phone, I got my wallet, and I got my keys and I'm ready to go to church in the morning. He says, Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. And too many times we prepare for a lot of things that aren't spiritual. But, as Joshua points out, and I think that we can understand, preparation is the foundation of success. So Joshua comes in here in chapter uh, 10 and verse, uh, or ch- I'm sorry, in verse 10 and verse 11, and he says, prepare your provisions. He wants them to be ready because he realizes what's going to happen is, is God in some supernatural event that we'll get to eventually, God is going to bring them across the Jordan River. And so he wants them to be ready. He wants them to know that their future success is going to be built on the foundation of their preparation today. So he knows that if they do not prepare today, they will not be ready for tomorrow. And you may say, well, preacher, then break this down for us. How do we get ready for tomorrow? Well, there's several different ways that I'd point your attention to. One of the things is, is that Ryan Troop is starting a mentoring program for young ladies. 
She's asking older ladies in a Titus 2 fashion. She's asking older ladies to come alongside and mentor younger ladies. There's some uh, brochures on both of these tables. It's called Mentoring Mind. And we always sit back and we go, well, you know, we just wish there was something out there for the young people to be trained and nurtured in the ways of God. And this is an opportunity. So if you're feminine in this morning, you can be involved. Well, you may say, well, I don't like that idea, Spence. Well, look at the bottom of your notes. Three names. I went through this last week. This has been in here for a lo- quite a while. I am praying for blank to be saved. I am praying for blank to repent. I invited blank to church today. And, and you think about, well, who do you have in that deal? I was thinking this morning about the idea of just going around and looking at each other and say, do you got three? Do you got three names? I don't need to know the names. It's not my personal privilege to know your names. But do you have three? Do you have three names that you put in that blank every single morning? So that's a way that you and I can prepare. We can be thinking about, God, I want you to work in this person's life. God, I want you to soften this person's heart. God, I want you to do something in this person's life, not only for the sake of their soul, but for the sake of the edification of the church. You can prepare. It doesn't have to include you teaching Sunday school class. It doesn't include you singing a special. You can just prepare your heart to say, God, who am I concerned about for their spiritual eternity today? So Joshua comes in and he calls them. He calls them to prepare. He wants them to be ready for what God is going to do. You and I in this room, we have no idea what God has planned for the church in the future. So that means that we can have the opportunity to prepare for a lot of different things can come in and you can be prepared for another thousand people that show up next Sunday morning. Are we prepared? You can come in and you can plan on that we're going to have 20 come for baptism. Are you prepared? You can plan that God is going to come in and, and, and he is going to say, I'm going to give you an opportunity. And you can come in next Sunday and you can know that Satan's going to be here. And what Satan's going to do? Satan's going to say, you're tired. You're busy. You don't have time for this. You need a daydream and you need to have your mind in a thousand places. And yet you can come in prepared saying, here I am God. I am presenting myself to you. Are you preparing for God? There's a second action that you see there starting in verse 12. Joshua is still speaking and it says, And to the Reubenites, I'm I'm there in chapter 1 and verse 12, And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, and this is what he says, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest. And will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. So the Lord God, or so the Lord gives rest to your brothers. As he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Now you may look at that and you may say, what in the world is he talking about? Well, he's talking about a call to remember. A call to remember. You take your Bibles and if we had time we'd do that. But you can go back to Numbers chapter 32. And as Moses is leading the people through the wilderness. You get to a certain section of the wilderness. And the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad came up to Moses and said, Listen, we got a lot of livestock. And this whole area is great for livestock. Can we not settle here? I know you're going to take us across the Jordan. And I know there's a whole promised land there. But this land is really good for our animals. This land is really good for what we want to do. Can we just settle 
in this area. And Moses says, well, you know what? I don't think that's going to be acceptable to God, you know, because when we go in, we're going to need to have a full military strength. We're going to need to have all hands on deck to go in and to conquer the promised land. So what God, so what Moses did, he went to God and he said, all right, God, what do you say? And God says, well, here's what's going to happen. Give them this land. They can go ahead and set up some homesteads. They can go ahead and build fences. They can go ahead and make a way and they can already take possession of the land. But when the time comes for them to go into the promised land, to take possession of the promised land, all of the military men in those two and a half tribes shall go into the conquest. And then once the conquest is complete, you can go back and you can resettle where you started at. So what's happening here in Joshua chapter 1 is Joshua is calling them them to remember. He is coming to the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, and he is saying, remember, remember the commitment. Remember, and I see there in your notes, that God has given us his word. So what he's doing in Joshua's coming in, he's calling them to remember. He's calling them to remember God gave you this land on the other side of the Jordan, but with the condition that you would hold up your part of the word. You would hold up your part of the agreement. And I tell you this morning that God has given us his word. And the other part of that is that we have given God our word. So Joshua is calling the people to remember. Remember what God did for you. And remember what you said you would do for God. Remember that when this time comes, God has made an agreement with you. You have made an agreement with God. Remember God has given us his word and we have given God our word. You may say, well, Spence, ha, ha, see, see, well, hold up. What word have I given God? That he would be the Lord of your life? See, for some of you, you've made that decision and you've cried out for repentance and confession and salvation of your sins. For some of you, you've come to that point that you realized that you were a sinner and if you died in your state of sin, that you would go to hell for an eternity and you realized that Christ came. He lived the sinless life that you could not live. He died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He was buried in the tomb. He was rose on the third day to make it possible that you and I may be forgiven of our sins, justified in the eyes of God, which is the whole gospel message. And you and I, for those of us in this room that have believed, we've believed on that. We've placed our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ. And we've crawled out. Sometimes you've said a sinner's prayer and repeated after someone. Sometimes you just did it in a different way. But for those of us in this room that have been saved, we've cried out and we have saying, we believe in you, Jesus. We believe in who you are. We believe that you're God's son. We believe in what you say. We believe that you're the Lord of our lives and we're putting our trust and our hope and our faith in you. And God, here we are. Jesus, here we are. We're presenting ourselves to you. You are in charge of us. And you made that decision when you got saved. And you mark the card. You come down, you pray with the preacher. Pray with the counselor. People get excited and they're so happy for you. You got saved. You got saved. And you know what happened when you got saved? You then submitted to the Lordship of Christ in your life. Which meant you were saying from this point forward, I am now a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. That's your word that you gave to him. The problem is, is we easily forget that. Well, we, now we got saved. Now we got the fire insurance. Now I'm going to go off and do what I want to do. 
Now I forget that, oh, He saved me, but He didn't save me as a one-time thing. He saved me as an ongoing lifestyle from this point forth. Some of you may be here this morning. Some of you may be watching online or listening online. And some of you may have never made that decision this morning. I want to assure you that there is going to come a time, the Bible tells us, there is a day that is coming that every single one of us will kneel before God. Every single one of us. Why not do it today? But for those of us in this room that have made that decision, God has given us His Word. We have given God our Word. And so what does that mean for us moving forward, Spence? It means that we have been created for good works. And this idea of good works is something that is going on, going. Let me read into your ears Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. You know, verses 8 through 9, most, most of you are going to know verses 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing, it's a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast, but then a lot of times people leave out verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, for, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's the idea that what Paul is reminding us there in Ephesians, and we looked at it just a couple of months ago, this idea that we have been created for good works. God created us to serve Him. God created us to remember what He has done for us and remember that what He has called us to do. That is what it means to remember. Back in 2019, I wasn't here, but you all had a big celebration. Some of you got plumb wore out, worried about this celebration. Some of you worked your tail off to get ready for this celebration. But back in 2019, this church had a celebration. The, the church celebrated 125 years. And you had a big service. You had a bunch of people come. It was a, it, it was a great celebration. But one of the things that you all did as preparation for this celebration is you put together the history of the church. And there was, it's in different formats. Uh, one of the formats is this right here. I don't know if some of you realize, but this is just, a, it says a short history of First Baptist Church in Wellston. Let me read for you just the first 20 years of the life of this church. April 8th, 1894, six people came forward to compose the body of the First Baptist Church of Ingram. Those making the move here and gives us some list of names and it says in 1894, May of 1894, Reverend J.W. Pinion was called as the pastor succeeding J.J. Prowse. December the 7th, 1895, Minnie Laws was elected as clerk and Reverend C.R. Stevens was called as pastor. There's a lot of initials here. I don't know. I may have to start going by C.W. McConnell. I don't, I don't know. He goes on. Uh, he was pastor until 1901 and C.R. Stevens served as the pastor. His pay was to be $3 a trip for his service. September 1898, a building committee was appointed to see about purchasing the Ingram School. Also raised funds to buy a lot in Wellston on which to place this building. F.B. Irwin was the clerk at this time. October 1898, by voting, the First Baptist Church of Ingram became the Second Baptist Church of Wellston. Later to be named the First Baptist Church of Wellston. And the first trustees to be elected were R.L. Bailey, uh, J.J. Irwin, and J.B. George. In September of 1900, a loan of $175 was made from the Home Mission Board in Atlanta, Georgia. At this time, John Pyle was hired to be the janitor at 25 cents each lighting and cleaning. So every time I turn a light switch on. January, 
1901, Reverend Anderson was called to be the part-time pastor. In the same month, they began using the envelope system for offerings. In the same year, Clyde Jones replaced Reverend Anderson as pastor. Reverend Will Davis was pastor during the years of 1908 to 1909. Reverend G.J. Clark was called to 1910 with a salary of $29.40 a month. Reverend O.G. Matthews was called as the pastor in 1912. T.M. Piles was pastor from 1913 to 1917. And in 1914, the present building was built. It was voted to hold meetings in the, or was voted to hold meetings in the Christian church until the building was completed. It was in the, this same year that Mrs. Jean Elsie was elected as trustee. You go up in that classroom building up there. Some of you adults had a classroom this Sunday school this morning in the LC building. Just 20 years of the recorded history of this church. You know, sometimes we neglect to remember our history. We forget to remember where we've come from and where we have been. Just this morning, uh, as I came into the morning service, uh, Terry Humphrey handed me a bulletin from March of 1981. And he said, well, was this... Were you born yet? <laughs> I, it cleared me by about a month. But in this bulletin, it has it listed out what they were doing. On the back of it, there was a menu from when they ate. And who was going to bring what to this dinner. It's this idea that so many times, brothers and sisters, we fail to remember. We fail to remember the goodness of God. We fail to remember the blessings of God. We fail to remember the faithfulness of God. We fail to remember that God has used us and especially used this church historically. We fail to remember that one day somebody will be remembering us. And what will they be remembering? What will they be remembering us for? So Joshua calls them to prepare. He calls them to remember. And then you get down to verse 16 and you see the response. This is mainly from the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, but you see what they do. They then call back to Joshua. Verse 16, and they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandments, commandment and disobeys your word, where, uh, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and Courageous. There's a, there's a double calling here that I want you to see with me from the word. The first one is the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh are calling Joshua and saying, Hey, we want to call you to make sure that you follow after God. There's a call to follow. Joshua, we are going to follow you, but we want to make sure that you are following after God. You see that there in verse 17. It says, Only may the Lord your God be with you. They're saying, Joshua, we will be willing to follow you as long as we know who you are following. And in the same way Joshua is calling them to follow him, they are calling Joshua to follow after God. But one of the things that I find interesting here is that they come in and they say, all that you have commanded us, we will do. See, sometimes you will come across people and there will be a lot of agreement. But agreement and obedience are not the same thing. And what God is looking for, they are looking for people to act. It's not enough for us to come in this room and say, oh yeah, this is God's word. It's not enough for us to come in this room and say, oh, this is God's word to us. We should do it. It's not enough for us to say, oh, God loves me. Jesus came to this earth to die for me. It's not enough for us to say we agree with what this Bible says and what we say collectively. The question is, is are we going to act? Are we going to do it? Are we going to do something about what God has told us to do? Obedience and agreement are not the same thing. So Joshua's calling these people, I want you to act. I don't need to know that you agree. I don't need to know that you hear. I want to know, are you willing to act? 
And they say, Joshua, we're willing to act as long as we know the act that you're following. In other words, I put this there in your notes. People follow what other people follow. And unfortunately today, we see too many examples of people following the wrong thing. The ice bucket challenge. Remember that? Taking a full bucket of ice water and dumping it on your head. Why? Oh, I know it's raising money for a good charity. Just give the people the money and save yourself the bath. Not to be outdone by the Tide Pod challenge. Isn't that reassuring to know that the next generation of people coming after us think that Tide is meant to be ingested by the human body? Doesn't that make you feel comfortable to think that's the level of intelligence that's going to be caring for you and I in our retirement years? But we had that challenge and one person did it and another person did it and another person did it and it's one of those things that people follow what other people follow. And so they are looking at Joshua. These people are looking at Joshua and saying, Joshua, if you will follow God, we will follow you. We want to make sure we know who you are following because where you go then will be where we go. And the problem is today, the danger is today, the, uh, the, the, the shame is today is that too many times when the generations that are coming after us look to see where we are going, we are not going to God. In other words, we are teaching the next generation how to sin. We teach the next generation how to prioritize a lot of things in this world that aren't from God. We are teaching this next generation how to be apathetic and lethargic. We are teaching this next generation how not to care about the souls of the people. Joshua is looking at these individuals and he's saying, I want you to be ready. I want you to remember. I want you because you are going to need to act. And the people are looking back at Joshua saying, yes, Joshua, only make sure that you're following the right person. We want to follow you if you will follow God. And you get to the last very phrase there in verse 18. It says, only be strong and courageous. God had said that multiple times to Moses. He had said that multiple times to Joshua. Only be strong and courageous. He didn't say you have to have all the answers. He didn't say you have to have it all figured out. He doesn't say you have to be perfect. He says, I want you to make sure that you are strong and courageous following the right person because the best teacher, the best teacher is a good example. We have too much of this stuff in this world today that people say, do as I say, not as I do. And yet these young people are watching how we live. These young people are watching how we serve. These people are young people are watching how we respond. These young people are watching how we act in our homes. They watch how we act with our spouses. They watch how we're doing and they're looking at us and it's not a matter of what just comes out of our mouth. They want to see the example. So the tribe of Reuben, Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, they're looking at Joshua and saying, Joshua, we will follow you as long as we know that you're following after God. Because words are cheap. A witness is priceless. So there's these keys to action. Joshua comes in and says, if we're going to be successful, when we cross over the Jordan, it's going to require action. If we want to see this church grow, if we want to see our influence in this community grow, if we want to see lost people come to Jesus Christ, it's going to require action. Prayer, yes, but action somewhere comes into this whole idea of prayer. It's amazing how many people will look and say, well, I want to see the church be healthy. I want to see the church move forward. I want to see the kingdom of God advance. And then you say, well, what are you doing? Well, nothing. That's not my gift. That's not my talent. I'm not that body part. Find your part and get there. 
heard one preacher one time talking about every person having a place in the sanctuary. Uh, the other day, um, some people came in and they were going to sit down and they asked, they asked Ron, they said, where do you sit? And Ron says, I sit in a blue chair. And I thought, yes! But at the same time, another preacher down there in all of Baptist Church, uh, or, uh, Mr. Pastor Taylor, will say, I want you to be in your spot in Sunday morning. Wherever that spot is, wherever that spot is that you serve, wherever that spot is that you are counted present, wherever that spot is that you encourage, wherever that spot is that you say amen from, wherever that spot is that you learn and you respond and you contribute to the life of the church, wherever that spot is, I want you to be in that spot in the morning. And brothers and sisters, we need to ask ourselves, how are we acting in preparation for success? So I put down there some, maybe some walking points, if you will, just some points of application that I want to leave you with as we head out the door this morning. And one is a common cliche, but it's this, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. I know that you've heard this common cliche before, but it, it is still true. Just because it's common, just because it's been used over and over again, doesn't make it any less than true. And I'm going to put it in a different sense this morning that you're preparing for exactly what you are prioritizing. So what it is that's important to you, that's what you're going to prepare for. Are you preparing for your spiritual walk before God? And then this next one that I want to remind you about is that neglect and forget are not the same thing. Neglect and forget are not the same thing. And I think that I want to lean in on this a little bit this morning because sometimes in the world of the church, a lot of people will say, well, I just simply forgot. I just simply forgot. I just simply forgot. And sometimes, sometimes I love you, but sometimes it's because you just neglected to care. It wasn't a priority. It wasn't important enough for you to care about. And sometimes we neglect the work of the Lord. We say we forget. But we just flat neglect. Joshua is calling the people to act. Joshua is calling the people to prepare. He's calling the people to remember. He's calling the people to follow as he follows after God. He wants them to know that if they don't go in and seize the promised land, it's not because God forgot about them. It's not because they forgot about God. It's because they neglected to follow in the path that God had given them. And by extension, I don't believe... God desires for us to plateau, to decline. I don't believe that God desires for you and I to dry up and wither away. Brothers and sisters, if we neglect the principles, the the precepts, if we neglect the things that God has called us to, it's not a matter of just saying we forgot. We just neglected what it looked like to be a Christian. On this last one, we're done. Success follows preparation. Success follows preparation. Another way of putting this is, is you're going to be successful the things that you're planning to do. The things that you spend the most time being prepared for, the things that you spend the most time getting ready for, the things that matter to you, you will find some level of success or another in that endeavor. The question is, is are you preparing to be successful in your calling and in your life as a Christian? Are you preparing so that God may use you in a supernatural way, a way that you may have never expected, a way that you have never asked for, a way that you never could have imagined, in a way that somebody would look at you and go, where did that come from? I don't know. That was just God working in me, God working through me. Is God preparing in you a way for all this to come about? We have talked about it many times, but right now in this community, we are seeing a great, I don't know if it's a boon or boom in the real estate industry. 
And I think it's quite bonkers to see what people are paying for places nowadays. But I'm so glad that it's happening now and not six months ago. And you can sit back and say, well, Spence, that had nothing to do with it. And that was just timing, you know. What if? (laughs) What if God said, I've got a family that I'm going to be relocating? And that family is going to need to have a place to put their heads down. And I need that family to have some place that they can put their head down and actually pay their bills and be honest people. So I know this boom is coming. I know this expansion is coming. I know the price of everything will skyrocket. But you know what? Until that time, I am preparing this. What, 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 what if? You know, so many times we try to excuse things away as being coincidence. We try to excuse things away as being, well, that's just, a, uh, that's just uh, karma or fate or all these things. And I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, what is it about your life? What is it about you? What is it about the people say about you that can all be explained by the power of God working in you? And sometimes we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared for God to bring spiritual success to our lives. So what about you this morning? What are you getting ready for? What are you preparing for? What are you ready for God to do with you? I know that we can sit here this morning. We can talk about all this community around us. We can talk about the people around us. But I want to ask you. What are you getting ready for God to do with you? You bow your heads with me.